think we have enough hot dogs. My name is Matthew Kroll. And this is what grown-ups do. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film May, December. Do you remember the 21st day of September? I, I, <laughs> I remember a long December, and there's reason to believe that maybe this year will be better than the last. No. <laughs> not no, at all. It, no, not? it never is. Oh, it never will. Well, it never is and never will be. I guess... Uh, Mr. Jones himself lied to me. Why am I such a downer at the, at the end of the year? We should be celebrating. It's coming up to Christmas. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Happy yeah. Hollandaz, everyone. Yeah. It has been, a, like, uh, we'll we'll address this for the people in the audience who perhaps work in the industry. Um, maybe write us in and tell us if your experience has been different. But it has been a slower year than usual. Yes. Yeah. We have had two major strikes that have gone on, which has interrupted production on a lot of things. Uh, and I think the other factor is that inflation is very high in the United States. Interest rates are at about seven percent. I am not an economist, by the way, but I would say uh, if you have not been experiencing this uh, this phenomenon, but like right now, I, I, SNL did a sketch about this. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. You go to the grocery store and it's like, oh my god, I just spent fifty bucks on two apples. Yep. You know, um, I, I uh, and this will sound obnoxious, but like you know, going to the cafe to get a coffee and a croissant is like, whoa, when did, when did that become $15? Yeah. It's you know what not, I mean? uh, it's, it's what, what's the price of a banana really? Yeah. Job? Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, let, I'm checking my notes here. Yes. It's becoming, what's the word? Ah, oh, yes. Unsustainable. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Look, I don't think corporate fuckery is going to change much. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. The lives in this in this Todd Haynes movie, they looked like they were having a delightful time in Savannah. I, I, I there might, was a lot of hot dogs on that barbecue, and I was like, cost of living's <laughs> a little bit less there. Inflation might not have hit them so hard yet. I, I have no idea. I don't know if you can make that much money from pies. Uh, uh, <laughs> from from penny pies. From, yeah, from penny pies. Um, but how you doing, man? I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, this was uh, I, I I'd heard this movie was coming. Yeah. Uh, and I completely forgot about it. And then when you suggested, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems like a great thing. Well, uh, the reason I uh, suggested it was that a friend of the show, um, podcast host, fellow podcast host of Other Men Need Help, reached out to me. He was coming up to the Museum of Moving Image, and he had a spare ticket to see May, December uh, with Todd Haynes in uh, in attendance. So uh, I was I was uh, I. I mooched as, a, as much as a mooch can mooch and said, yes, sure, I will be there. <laughs> and uh, so I want to say thanks to Mark uh, for inviting me and uh, hanging out and having coffee with me afterwards to discuss the movie. And so you got to see it with Todd Haynes in, in the audience? Uh, not in the audience, but there was a Q&A afterwards oh, with Todd cool. Haynes and um, Christine Bashan and Pam Koffler, who I used to intern for. Really? Yeah, uh, like, yeah, probably... Uh, Probably a decade ago. Did now. you say hi? I did not. Yeah, ah. uh, uh, this is the one it, I was reflecting upon this with Mark, um, interning at that company. And again, I was like, uh, you remember that Robert De Niro movie uh, with Anne Hathaway called The Intern? Yeah, oh yeah. Where he's like a really old guy yep. interning. Yep. Uh, that was me uh, because I, you know, I was like thirty years old when I started interning. And everyone else there was like twenty years old. Sure. Uh, but I just moved to New York, and an opportunity came up to work for them, so I did. Um, you, you know, like interning is not. Uh, I, I don't have like a one-to-one -one relationship or anything like that with with those people. I certainly run errands for them and talk to them, but it's not like I doubt very much they would remember me. Even though all. you were the the older yeah. intern, I, I feel the, like if you have a gimmick, they remember you. You know, one of the gimmicks, one of the gimmicks I had because I was also a, a working graphic designer and uh -huh. had been for like you know ten years at that point. Um, they had their uh, Killer Films logo, and uh, I was in the office one day, and they were like, "We need to update this." Uh, it wasn't them, by the way. Um, and so I quickly banged out an animation for it. 
uh, in about half an hour. And and they were, uh, as I recall, it was well received. But I think there was like this air of like, who the fuck is this guy and why is he doing this? You know, like th this is the kind of thing that they would outsource to somebody. Right. And, and it was like, and I was clearly doing it as like, hey, look, I can do things, guys. You know, put me to work. Yeah. Um, uh, and I don't think it was like, it was well received by the person who asked me to do it or I said I could do it for. Um, I don't think they used it, but then I noticed that they're, they've, uh, the Killer Films logo here is uh, updated now and it is very close to what I did. Uh, in like a half hour. So it's very, very similar. So I guess that's my lasting impact is that I, I affected nothing. I, I met no one and nobody remembers me. I mean, but that's the thing. Maybe they did remember. You should have gone. I think you should have gone up and said hello. Uh, I remember, here's a funny side story. I remember, uh, you know, it does. it's not NDA or anything now, uh, but the Barbie movie came through and I had to read um, read and give notes on it. Um, but at the time, they were trying to do... You remember in the Barbie movie when Barbie meets the older woman who invented Barbie? Yeah. They wanted to do that movie. Um, so they were trying to figure out... Basically, it wasn't the Barbie movie as it exists right now. They were trying to do the Mattel story. Yep. Um, and I had to read and give notes and thoughts on uh, on that as well. So I remember, I remember that very vividly. Uh, it was an interesting time. Interesting time. Interesting time back however many years ago. Yeah. Well, I'm a lot older, a lot hairier, a lot uglier. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> to talk about... Talk about uh, inflation of the bad <laughs> things. Jeez. That is inflation, yeah. Um, should we get to some emails? We've been, yes. We've been backdating some emails recently, uh, and uh, I thought this was a good opportunity to catch up with them. You want to take the first one? I will as I take a sip of my coffee. All right, here we go. Steven writes us in. Steven says, saw the marbles and thought, meh, if your sci-fi plot is stupider than Pacific Rim, then everything else has to be awesome as Pacific Rim, and it really wasn't. <laughs> uh, the killer was kind of a similar thing. I don't care for a weak revenge plot, but everything else was solid, so I enjoyed it more, but still, meh. Now, the, just before we move forward, there's a, it's not really a spoiler for Nick's Gold Wins, but there's something here... I don't know. It's not It's not a spoiler. Skip 30 spoiler. seconds if you don't want to hear about something about next goal wins. Yeah. Uh, next goal wins. Sigh. <laughs> I really <laughs> wanted to like this. It had some really good biddies, but you know how in The Princess Bride, the grandfather, Peter Falk, stops reading the eel scene to take away the tension uh, from the grandson, Fred Savage, is feeling. Well, Taika unironically does that in the final climax of the film. The one part of the film where they show not tell would have been ideal. Although the world's longest halftime break, so all the main characters' backstories can be blurted out, just another meh for me. None of them are bad movies per se. I just feel like they could have been so much more. So I, we haven't done Nick Skull Wins. I don't think it's on our docket right now. Yeah. Um, I, and the reason it's not, uh, you know, I, I, I never like to, when, whenever we're discussing movies, I always go, well, if something's really being piled on, I don't want to join that conversation, you know, like it's not that we that we'll do movies only that are good. It's just that I, you know, when there's like a clear consensus on a movie, I often wonder, you know, have we got something to say on it? Um, and maybe, you know, certainly if we saw the movie, maybe probably, there would we be. probably would be. But I, I saw there was an article that Vox had written immediately after Nick's Gold Wins premiered at Toronto, I think. And I think the title of it, and again, apologies if this is uh, inappropriate, but the title of it is Taika even trying anymore. Um, and I, I, you know, look, uh, I wasn't as big a fan of Jojo Rabbit, but you know, he won the Oscar for that. And I uh, was, um, I really liked Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think there is like this, it feels a lot like there's a downward trajectory in terms of the cultural stock that a person might have. Um, and you know, that would be worth a conversation, I guess, but you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It, it didn't feel like 
Nick's gold wins. Um, it felt like the kind the reviews and things that I were reading. It felt yeah. like the kind of thing where anything that had to be mined from it, positive or negative, had already been done. So, and yeah. it's just sort of like, well, I, yeah. I, I, I probably would agree with ninety percent of these takes. So, I'm very curious to see the documentary, the original documentary, which I yeah. haven't seen. Um, so I, I would be interested to see that. Uh, it's a shame uh, you didn't love the killer, but uh, I reached out back to Stephen and told him to check out because uh, it seems, you know, what I got from the Stephen is that you're having like a bad movie run. Uh, and so I suggested two movies that you should uh, try, which was The Holdovers and um, Anatomy of a Fool. I think those are two great movies mm -hmm. that will take you out of the rut. So I hope uh, I hope that helps. Or the original Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Live action. Yeah. I know I brought that up last week, but I just rewatched it. I, I rewatched it uh, a couple of months ago. It is a delight. <laughs> It is, it is uh, wonderful. It, it, it's very short. It's short and it holds like <laughs> for as silly and stupid as it is. Yeah. It is very adult. Yeah. And, you know, my big takeaway was the suits. The suits are so wonderful. And the way that they move in those suits. Uh -huh. In fact, I actually, um, I Instagram posted something about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when I watched it. And I think the guy who played Leonardo uh, liked and retweeted or reposted oh, nice. my uh, thing. I think his name is Mark Casso. Um, but yeah, just the way they move in those suits Perfect. is incredible. And it's funny in, in that one in Secret mm. of the Use, it's great. And then in Turtles in Time or the Time, whatever mm. the third, the mm. third one, it feels like the budget went a little bit away. Okay, and the suits get worse. Like you see eye holes underneath. Yeah. The like right. it's just it's weird. Uh, <laughs> and then it slowly turns into whatever the network television version of Power Rangers Ninja Turtles live action suits were. That. The yeah. soundtrack's great though. Oh well. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry for the tangent, but that's another one. If you just wanna, if you want to smile on your face, uh, Muhammad writes this in. Hope you're doing well. It's been a productive week for me regarding finishing a lot of blind spots for me. Nice. I finished the entire filmography of Wes Anderson and the Die Hard trilogy. Now, just pointing out here, there is more than Die Hard films, but if this is where you stopped, Muhammad, just pretend that the rest of them don't exist. Yeah, just take a fire sale <laughs> yeah. uh, and you'll be fine. Seriously, Bruce Willis and John McTiernan, one of the best action director pairings of all time, in my opinion. And maybe it's controversial, but I think Die Hard 3 is just the best. Uh -huh. Not controversial, Muhammad. I agree with your take there. I mean, Bruce Willis just rocks. I watched Mr. Anderson's films in reverse release order, so it was kind of fascinating to see his style sort of undeveloping as I worked my way through. I think Anderson is kind of like Michael Bay in the sense that from the very beginning, Anderson developed a signature style and just kept it. I got to say, before I saw these films, I thought his work came across as catering to pretentious hipster film bros. Whoa! You're referring to me there? That's yes. that personally. But this is definitely not the case. I overall, I really enjoyed his films, and I cannot see uh, wait to see what he's done next. P.S. I'd rather have you do Ghost in the Shell rather than Samurai Cop because holy hell, it's an abomination of the film. I'm guessing he's meaning the Scarlett Johansson. Wait, which one? Yeah, though? does he say? Because he says because holy hell, it's an abomination of a film. Do you want us to do Ghost? He you, wants us to do Ghost, Ghost in the Shell, Shell then but, Cop, but which is the abomination? I'm pretty sure, I, I, Muhammad, write us back in. Uh, I'm pretty sure what he's trying to say, and I could be wrong here, is that the Scarlett Johansson Ghost in the Shell is an the, abomination. Is an abomination. But, because but that you is could a, also be saying, and I, I, I agree with you, but yeah. the other way is he could say Samurai Cop is so bad he doesn't want us to do it. Well, he he requested us to do Samurai Cop for like. Okay, so if we're putting all of the all of, we're putting all the pieces together, yeah, I yeah, believe yeah. these Ghost in the Shell is the abomination. Just going back over this email, Die Hard Three is superb. It's one of the best third parts in a in a trilogy. Uh, they should have stopped there. Uh, and um, Wes Anderson. Actually 
actually made four short films that are on Netflix right now that were released to not much fanfare. Yep. Um, I think the the Wonderful Life of Henry Sugar, I think, is is the first one, and there's a few other. There's three others as well, all based on the work of Roald Dahl. Uh, I was educated on the anti-Semitism of Roald Dahl recently, mm-hmm. uh, so it's interesting. It'd be interesting to watch them with that contextual knowledge in my head as well. But also, um, yeah, Wes Anderson just you know like three. Was it four short films would probably be the equivalent of a feature? Look, he made you some content. He made me content. Yeah. And I and I haven't sat down to watch it yet. I recall I sat down to start watching uh The Wonderful Life of Henry Sugar. And and then there was something about it being a short film where I I know I'd sat down very sort of haphazardly. I was like, oh, I'm just gonna quickly watch this. And then it started, and I was like, this is wonderful. I need to like pay attention to this and spend, you know, like not make this just a quick passing kind of thing. And I haven't gone back yet because I've been like trying to clear the schedule to do that. Yeah, so that makes uh, sense. Uh, I'm I'm excited to check those out. Next up, we have Dotun. Hey, Dotun. Uh, they write. Haven't checked out your latest episodes on the holdovers and the killer. Just finished watching them over the holiday break, so I have to catch up on the pod. So you might have mentioned this already, but wondering if you're planning on doing an episode on Saltburn, the newest movie from Emerald Fennel. Would love to hear your takes on it, especially the editing of the film, given y'all's background on editing and also interesting internet discourse surrounding it. Seems like this movie has quite a bad rep right now. Ooh, I I I thought it had positive rep from what I understood, but uh, it's a it's a real mixed it's, bag. It's, it's a it's a mixed it, one. It's All a right. mixed bag. Uh, don't do continues anyway. As always, keep up the great work. Love the pod and discussions y'all have. The perspectives you provide consistently get me to interrogate films in a way I haven't seen initially. It's like a nice, small, little seminar for my ears. Thanks. P.S. If you haven't seen any trailers or anything about Saltburn, I highly recommend going in as blind as possible. Well, you know what? Mm. I haven't. Well, um, I've held off on Saltburn. Uh, it is on the docket, um, but it actually comes to um, streaming on December 22nd. So I maybe we... We circle sure. back to that one. Here's my, here's the only spoiler thing I know about Saltburn. It's not a spoiler for the movie. It's just, I haven't even seen the trailer, but the one piece I've seen is at the Lincoln Center Theater. There is a display case with a bunch of the costumes yep. on, a, on a faux tennis court. I, I was always weirded out by that because Jacob Elordi, I think is six foot four, six foot five. Mm-hmm. So he's my height. And the, the costume looked very short to me. But I don't know if that's the style these days. I also, don't know. Uh, the big thing here is Jacob Elordi is the the breakout star from all of these, and he's a very beautiful man. Uh, also played Elvis in the Priscilla in the Priscilla film from um, Sofia Coppola, which we should do as well because we did Elvis. And you know, if we're doing three hundred Marvel movies, we should do the two Elvis. We should movies. do two Elvis. Movies. <laughs> we should do the two Elvis. Well, movies. the Priscilla movie and the Elvis yeah. movie. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I think Jacob Elordi is the the breakout star of all of this. The, the, the big key takeaway is Jacob Elordi. Um, also, I've heard that, you know, the sort of comparison to the talents of Mr. Ripley, the sort of um, wealth versus uh, poverty discourse. And uh, I hear there's a fairly controversial sex scene in the movie. So I'm very curious where that goes. Um, maybe it's a spoiler to say that there's one role. I haven't seen the movie yet. Uh, I'm curious to check it out. Uh, I also was not the biggest fan of Promising Young Woman from memory. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. So this will be an interesting uh, follow-up conversation. I liked that movie, too. Yeah. It's almost as if sometimes we disagree. We do disagree on a lot of things. I don't think we'll disagree on the next one because we've actually already action-itemed this email. Oh, my God! Which came to us from Paul. Uh, uh, While I know you don't really do listener requests, how dare you, Paul? I do uh, like to humbly inquire any interest in covering the newly released Godzilla Minus One. 
Beyond just wanting to hear uh, a movie I enjoyed get talked about, Godzilla is a pretty significant uh, cinematic icon. I think there's a pretty interesting discussion to be had in the contrasting this Japanese era produced era with the American Monsterverse Kaiju, especially with the current currently airing Apple TV tie-in show and the new film Godzilla Kong, uh, X Kong right around the corner. Plus, while Topam has extensively covered franchises like Marvel, DC, Star Wars, The Matrix, and even the likes of the John Wicks and Jurassic Port World, cordially there is cordially, 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 no, leave us in, cord, cordially, cordially. Okay, cordially. I was going to hit the marker to put that edit point. <laughs> no, 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 no. She no. wants it. So I want it, gets I want it. it. Uh, there seems to be a Godzilla-shaped hole in the catalog. Looking forward to whatever you guys have talked about. Well, Paul. We went on an adventure. We went on a date. So we, well, a triple date. <laughs> a triple date. Uh, so we were out at a holiday party for an old show that we worked on forever ago, which we were kind enough uh, to be invited to. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Annie. who Mooching as hard as we can mooch. But uh, we just got to see a lot of folks that we hadn't seen in forever, and it was just an absolute delight. And then uh, I think around 10 o'clock, 9.30, 10 o'clock rolled around. We'd been there for a few hours. And uh, Shahir and myself and a friend of the show, Nick Parker, um, were talking and we were talking about doing Godzilla due to uh, a, a few different, a few, due to Paul's email. Paul, you're, due, you're not the only one. And due to a few other folks requesting Godzilla quite hard. So we looked up on our phones and we're like, well, there is one 40 blocks away uh, <laughs> playing at 1030, which we could get to. Yeah. And so we walked there. <laughs> we walked 40 blocks. We had a little, we had a dumb, We stopped for a Paris baguette. We stopped, yeah. <laughs> we did the most touristy walk for people that have lived in the city easily over 15 years or whatever it's yeah. been. Uh, but we like took pictures in Times Square. We were a little bit tipsy. We were running around like psychopaths. Then we went to go see Godzilla. So that will be next week's. Yeah, we did see Godzilla minus one. We're excited to talk about it. Uh, thank you again for requesting it. Again, Paul. Uh, you weren't the only one. There were a few people that reached out to us. Um, uh, Godzilla Minus One has a very short theatrical one, so we had to jump in on the opportunity when we saw it, and uh, we're excited to talk about it next week. Everyone, thank you so much for your emails. Uh, we love reading them. You need to email us in more. So uh, <laughs> if you if you are someone who's listening to these emails and be like, I've always wanted to write in an email, but how do I do it? <laughs> well, how, how do I get these guys to butcher uh, my words yeah. uh, <laughs> semi-live on a podcast? Uh, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd really love to hear from you what you think about either May, December or any other film we've uh, discussed or things you think we should watch. Uh, we always love hearing from you. And uh, please keep sending them in. Tell us what May, December is about. May, December, as the omnibus tells us, 20 years after the notorious tabloid romance gripped the nation, a married couple buckles under pressure when an actress arrives to do research for a film about their past. Didn't it turned into Mission Impossible there for a second? Well, I was using the um, it was a Michelle Legrade uh, score that they use in this film uh, quite yes. extensively. Um, as I said, I got to see this uh, with Todd Haynes uh, doing Q and A at the end of the film. Holding hands, uh, it was re yeah, it was holding hand with Todd Haynes. Um, I, I do remember, by the way, just speaking of listener emails, uh, we got a request many years ago. I believe it was from I believe it was from Laura in Australia mm. uh, to do Carol, Todd Haynes's film. Yes. And I know that's the Todd Haynes movie that we need to see. I, as far as Todd Haynes goes. Uh, uh, it was funny, uh, both Mark Pagan and I had the sort of sim similar history, which is that we saw Poison and Safe in college and um, the Karen Carpenter story, um, but then hadn't really kept up with Todd Haynes, even though, like, as I say, I was working in a company which was producing his films at the time. Um, they were making Far From Heaven uh, at the time that I was there, or Mildred Pierce, uh, one of the two. I have uh, a confession. You haven't seen a single Todd Haynes movie? I haven't movie? seen before this one. I have not seen a single Todd Haynes movie. 
and I've known the name and I mm. could actually pick him out of a lineup. Like yeah. I, I just know what he looks like for yeah, some reason. Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to figure out why maybe it was back in the Carol discussions. Yeah. Like, um, but I don't know. I, I caught up with, um, it was, again, this was part of the conversation with Mark Fagan. I'm recounting my coffee date. Um, but essentially, we talked about the fact that I just love procedurals. I love, like, paperwork movies. I love, like, movies about lawyers trying to figure things out. I love, you know, journalist movies. Uh, and Todd Haynes' last movie was Dark Waters about uh, a lawyer trying to unravel the DuPont scandal, the mm -hmm. DuPont Teflon scandal uh, with Mark Ruffalo. And so I did catch up on that over the weekend as well, uh, just to kind of, like, backtrack. I started on Carol, but we got we we had to see Godzilla Minus One, and I was like, uh, Carol, kind of like the Wes Anderson thing, was like, I need to make time for this. Mm -hmm. I need to, like, sit down and soak in this because it's also based on a Patricia Highsmith novel and I love Patricia Highsmith. Um, the other uh, Todd Haynes movie I have seen is I'm Not There uh, and Velvet Goldmine. Um, so I, I like aware of his work, but he is a major New York figure as well, yeah. major New York filmmaker. Um, prominently in this case, Natalie Portman, you know, he's worked with Julianne Moore several times this over. This is his fifth time. Yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, he's uh, the Scorsese and De Niro, Scorsese and Coppola, uh, uh, DiCaprio mm -hmm. kind of uh, um, approach there. But, you know, he's, he mentioned in the Q&A that Natalie Portman had reached out and they were trying to find a project to work together, um, which is, you know, gives gives some indication of the caliber of work that he produces, particularly for women in lead roles, the Kate Blanchett and uh, Carol, I believe she was was she nominated? She may have been nominated for that for that role. I believe so. Um, Julianne Moore has, I believe, was nominated. Actually, you know what? My Oscar knowledge off the, I, I have a lot of knowledge uh, related to movies off the top of the hat. Oscar nominations is not one of them. Um, so uh, anything I say here, it could be uh, misconstrued and used against me in a court of law. Um, <laughs> Movie law. <laughs> movie law. But so I was excited to see this movie. I didn't know much about it going in, uh, but uh, Todd Haynes came out and showed us a 17-minute sort of short film that he produced prior to Ooh. the film just to kind of uh, give some context on the making of the film. And some of the, it showed... It, it was a short film that it was, I think, was done for the Centre Pompidou in France um, as a because they were doing a retrospective of his work. Um, so it, it had like elements of uh, some notes that he'd been keeping, photograph journals, uh, like extended sequences from the films that they from the film that they had filmed that were uh, were not part of the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe if you go to the Museum of Moving Image right now, they're doing yep. a full retrospective of Todd Haynes's work. Izzy uh, mm. from Be Kind Rewind, mm. uh, friend of the show, she mm. was posting a bunch of just Instagram stories about that, which made mm. me want to go down there because we're so dang close. Yeah, I know. We should spend more time there. Um, but I, what I didn't really know until I saw that short film was that this was based on the Mary Kate Letourneau yep. story. Um, Mary Kay. Mary Kay Letourneau story and the Vili Filiponga. Uh, actually, I'm going to butcher that name as well. Mm -hmm. I'm really bad with names, guys. Just, just get, <laughs> get used to it. Um, which is a story I uh, had. Fulalo. Fulalo. Yeah, yeah. I remember it because he was a Pacific Islander. Yep. Um, and uh, if you don't remember that story, this is the story of a woman uh, a 36 year old woman who had an affair with uh, her elementary school. Is it elementary school? Yeah. Uh, sixth grade. Yeah, sixth yeah, so grade. I guess, I guess that's elementary. Yeah, school. as it's mentioned in this film, I don't fucking know. 11 or 13. 11, yeah. Some young. inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, young. But uh, ended up having this person's child while in prison leaving prison and then marrying and having a relationship. They actually filed for divorce many years later. And she, 2019. Yeah. And then she died recently, right? Yeah, of uh, cancer. And, yeah. Yeah. And he was with her as she died as mm -hmm. well, I think. So the relationship is 
Um, whatever your moral standing is, which should be fairly line in the sand on this one, uh, there's a complicated history to this relationship yeah. because it actually continued beyond the scope of the legality of it. Um, that's about as much... I, I, I only picked that up because there were fo- there's one key photo from that relationship that was in the photo books that Todd Haynes presented. Uh, and it's this image that has, I, I didn't realize that it burnt itself into my brain mm. uh, until I saw it again. And it was like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I remember reading that story and it was like, it was a weird story, but there's this image of uh, him holding, you know, embracing her. And she has this sort of like, she looks like a like a young teenager looking up at her lover, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and you kind of have to like step back and go, that kid's only 16 and she's like 37 or 40. Yeah. And, but it's the, the, this really strange look on that. You know, it, if you just glance at the photo, you'd go, what a happy couple. Yeah. But, but you look at it, you're like, wait a yeah, tick. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. So that image had been burnt into my brain. So as the film started unraveling, I recalled a lot of my feelings about it. And this movie does drag up a lot of interesting feelings. Yeah. Uh, I've got a lot to say about this movie. I'm curious what you have to say about yeah. it. So, uh, again, I didn't know much going into it other than uh, I've loved everything that Julianne Moore and uh, and um, Natalie Portman that I've seen them do. So I was like, okay, great. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, this movie goes to some very... Uh, <laughs> muddy, complex, dark places, but it does so in a... Okay. When we are dealing with um, human interaction, uh, damage, let's say damaging human interaction that is both pushed, both both catapulted to the forefront of sort of like a media sensationalism, but also at the same time in a way, the humanity of a lot of it pushed under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, I always find films that handle those elements in in the sort of most undertoned ways possible, the most effective. Mm-hmm. It's it's. Uh, I'm going to make a terrible analogy, but yeah. I don't really know else. I was thinking about this the other day after I'd watched it. Mm-hmm. In a horror film. Mm-hmm. I find uh, the terror and the emotional dread more effective when the monster is not shown at length. Yep. The jaws of fake. Yeah. Yeah. I think that has a lot for me personally with stories that are sort of, uh, and I, you could, I'm not saying everyone can or would or whatever, but you could categorize this film into a psychological horror genre. Certainly. Yeah. And the way that the trauma and the the relationships of all three of the mains and many of the side characters as well is handled is so like almost see the monster, but not quite yet. There's a cut. Yeah. And and there is and that sense of general uncomfortableness and unease. Yeah. uh, Was so damn effective i remember watching it and i uh <laughs> slight embarrassing thing but like i i realized i had to uh take a bio break and i was okay. and i was waiting i was just like ho- waiting and i'm like wait no i gotta see what's next and i was getting uncomfortable i'm in my home mind yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. and i'm like you could play pause. and i was and i was just like no like i need to watch this movie there's something i was in that sort of horror tension sort of moment and then after a while i was like ah and like, i just i had to pause but like when when a film can 
mm-hmm. do that. To, when a film can make me ignore my physical needs mm-hmm. to keep me in a state, in this case, of being incredibly uncomfortable, mm-hmm. I call that an absolute win. Yeah. Like, as far as storytelling is concerned. I was... And 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 the, it's not just the salaciousness of the subject matter, and it's not even just, even though we will get into it, the sheer uh, acting powerhouse of all three main leads, that mm. being, of course... Um, uh, obviously, Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, and uh, Charles Melton. He's great. Um, yeah. The which again, I hope that he gets some 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 award show shine on mm-hmm. this thing because there are scenes in this that he just decimates. Yeah. Like you, ex- it, this sounds terrible to say, but you expect Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore to des- yeah. like just kill it every time yeah. because we've been trained. I have not been as familiar with Charles's work, so it was just nice to see. Yeah. Um, but also beyond the performances, the the visual storytelling through the cinematography and the editing of this movie, I could not believe how it just was the ultimate spice to keep the 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 flavor profile of dread going. Yeah. Um. The the one scene in particular, and I was so happy when I was doing uh, sort of a little bit of research this morning on this. Uh, Todd did a a, a scene breakdown video mm-hmm. for maybe Vanity variety Fair or Variety or something. Or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was so glad this scene was in it. It was the first one. It's the scene when they're in the dress shop, when yeah. uh, oh, Elizabeth yeah. plays by Natalie Portman and Gracie played by Julianne Moore and her daughter, um, Mary, played by Elizabeth Yo or you um, are trying on dresses for graduation. Yeah. And there's a shit ton of mirrors. Yeah, it's incredible. And like, I, I, I don't like doing this as a podcast, but I kind of have to to get this across. So there's there's on the left of the frame uh, very far. You see a mirror looking down a hallway into a dressing room where the daughter's coming out, trying on dresses. You see next to that sitting on a couch, uh, Julianne Moore, I believe. Then Natalie Portman's in the middle. But then there's a reflection of Julianne Moore and a mirror on the opposite side of the right side of the frame. Yeah. And when the daughter walks around out the thing through the thing, cutting off our eyeline of different characters, showing a mirror, Julianne Moore, like. Mm-hmm. The entirety of the interaction going on, which in and of itself is a display of sort of psychological abuse in a way. Yeah. Um, the way that the the actors are positioned to block our eyeline and reframe the image. Yeah. It, it is so fucking effective in what it's trying to do. Like, I don't know. I, I Every moment I was like, this was a fun movie to to watch because not only does it make you incredibly uncomfortable and you see all the technical acumen at play, but you like, I found myself trying to figure out like, without distracting from what the movie's like overall power, how it was doing it. Yeah. So this is, in fact, in that scene, um, there's a sort of incredible display of geometry. Mm. Um, just like, you're sort of wondering how the angle was kind of chosen. And um, in that particular scene, you're sort of going, where is the camera? And like, cause there's so many mirrors bouncing here. Like, where is the camera placed in the sequence? Um, but there's a, 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 a another shot that happens a little bit later where we see uh, the daughter come out from the dressing room from the side angle, and we kind of see what the geography of the space actually was. And it's much, it's funny because it's much less sinister than that first shot would imply. Yep. And that sort of breakdown of what is real and sinister, I think, is what I really enjoyed from this because I think it was Adam Naiman on, um, or no, I can't remember the critic on uh, the Ringer podcast who, when they were discussing this, um, said it best, which is like, this is a two, this is a twice watch movie. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, like it plays and I saw it in an audience and, you know, that hot dog line, you know, huge laugh in the yeah. audience. Every time the music kind of plays in a sort of way, brings a laugh until it doesn't. Yep. And the funny thing is that the second time you watch it, it plays as a straight thriller. Like the hot dog moment plays much more sinister the second time around when you realize um, what her role is in this family and and the links at which she has kind of manipulated or kind of put a stranglehold on the family mm -hmm. um, because she is the matriarch of the family, but she is also the person, you know, like right from the very first scene that we see her, she tells um, uh, Joe like how many drinks he's having, what he needs to do, get the bugs out of the house kind of thing. You know, like she's she has put a stranglehold on this life and it's a life that oddly, though, that she's created. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the first time I watched it, um, we get to the end of the conclusion of the movie and there's sort of like a, a little bit of a ham fisted uh, who was really the power player in this conversation in, in this entire scenario between her and Natalie Portman, a kind of um, uh, Ingmar Bergman's persona sort of melding of the two characters, but who was really in charge. Uh, and I, and I kind of, in the first instance, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't sure what the movie was trying to get at there um, because I didn't feel like it really worked for me. Um, but the second time I watched it where it was a pure thriller and I was very aware of what Julianne Moore's character was doing throughout, it became a much more pointed kind of point line, which is that, so there's a revelation that it's not, and it's not really a revelation, but that Julianne Moore's character, Gracie has a real finger on the pulse of what everyone's opinions of her is. Yes. And even to the extent knows what people are talking about. Like she says at the beginning of the film, I just try to put all of this out of my life. Uh, you know, I try not to think about it. We're just living our lives now. We're a family. But she has a real uncanny sense of what every part of the situation is. And that plays entirely counterintuitive to the sort of, aw shucks, I just fell in love kind of thing about him. And that plays also much more tragically to the final scenes of Joe where he watches his kids in graduation and realizes this is the life that he never had himself. Mm -hmm. And I think as a sort of um, underlying tragedy about like uh, a fairly functional, you know, like family living in a society that, you know, obviously they've moved on from this, but they still get parcels of shit in the mail. Yep. Um, it's a really deftly observed you know, uh, examination of like the way this family needs to have this stirred up and the way that Hollywood comes in and stirs it up. I did some, a little bit of back research. Uh, there was a TV movie made yes. about this. Uh, and I think it was Penelope Ann Miller was the actress at the time. Oh. I don't think, uh, she would have gone and talked to Letourneau at the time. Maybe she did. I don't know. Um, who knows? Who knows? But I think this conceit, you know, like there's a thing about this, which is that there is like a meta conceit on top of this, which is that, uh, Natalie Portman's character, uh, Elizabeth, is kind of coming and doing like the investigative journalism thing, which is really, you know, I'm not sure I buy it entirely, but it's a really good way to kind of like uncover the layers of which of control that these characters have placed upon their lives. Something I was interested in, speaking of control and between Natalie and Gracie. Yeah. So what something that we're never I don't believe so. Correct me if I'm wrong. We're yeah. never told explicitly the deal of why. She, I mean, we know why she's there, yep. why uh, Elizabeth's there, but never the deal 
as to what got her there. So like, for instance, we see that the family seems to be doing well financially. We brought that up kind of earlier. We made the joke about the pies. Yeah. But then um, we also hear that like a lot of people orders are just like almost like pity orders. And then like um, someone cancels and she freaks out harder than she probably should. And yada, yada, yada. It's a real red flag moment. Yeah. (laughs) And um, but so then it always got me wondering when I was thinking about the power dynamics between these two characters, why did Gracie allow this? Now, you could go that she wants she's so in her own world and her own sort of delusions or mental illness herself that she believes that if people find out the real her, then everything would be fine. like people would understand it better. And so of course, yeah. she'd invite this actress in who's going to play her because that'll help get her story across yeah. the ending that you've alluded to where it's kind of you realize she knows more than she's letting on would probably lead me against believing that overall, yeah. but who knows? So I was wondering, and I, I and I see why uh, Todd might have left this sort of fact out because it might have made it more clear. And and the the more clear this movie is, maybe the less uh, emotion, emotionally effective it would be. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering what the monetary relationship mm-hmm. between the movie studio yeah. sending Elizabeth out there and Gracie was like, was she getting was Gracie? getting paid to have Elizabeth be there and how bad did her family need that money? And and again, that's an angle that the movie does not really cover. Yeah. But when I was questioning power dynamic and maybe that's a, even a less interesting thing. Yeah. That was always sort of what came up. And I was like, well, I can't really judge the power dynamic at all because I don't know the out that, that large outside factor. I think it would be safe to assume that Gracie is probably receiving some kind of uh, life rights payment yes. for the for the fact that the movie's being made. And if we look at the real person, uh, this was not someone who shied away from 60-minute interviews and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's a great moment in this film um, which is basically taken from a 60 Minutes interview. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Who's the boss? Who's the boss? Who, who was the, the boss? Who was the boss? Tony was, Danza. Tony Danza, as we all know, uh, was the boss. He was a Maybe it was Angela. Yeah. Was it the shower curtain scene that was like the, the shower? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They were definitely... He, was she the boss? He was the boss. I don't know. We don't know. We, we don't know. We don't know. Mona it's, was technically the boss. Yeah. There's three seasons of this, right? Yeah. How many seasons? No, there was. Actually. I, <laughs> how many seasons of uh, Who's the Boss was I'll be honest in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and so I think it's safe to assume that there is a financial transaction there. And But I, I don't think it would be safe to assume, just in understanding the way this works, that there is any financial transaction between uh, Elizabeth and Gracie. No, not them particular, but no. the studio and uh, and but, Gracie. Yeah, definitely she would have received some sort of life royalty payments. But I think what's more interesting is that she believes that by doing this, her name will be cleared or her story will get out. And there's a reality to this, which is that she was a 37-year-old teacher who slipped with an 11-year-old I think boy. in this movie she was 36 and he was 13. It but I know that the, the, yeah, the age is... It doesn't don't, really yeah. matter yeah. because... Uh, there are multiple scenes in this film. So uh, Joe, for example, is a um, is a X-ray tech, or he's a doctor, or yeah. he's a nurse, or we're not exactly sure. He's in the medical field, and he's showing uh, a broken hand of a young boy who is eleven or twelve. Um, and uh, Elizabeth puts her hands up to him, to that broken hand, and says, "He's so small." And you, you know, like there is constantly this like very subtle underplay of. What is this relationship and how did that relationship work? So, for example, Elizabeth goes to the school to talk to them about acting. And, you know, one of the teenage boys kind of brings up, like, have you ever been in a sex scene? And she kind of alludes to this idea that, you know, yes, I've been in a sex scene. And then she kind of gets a little, 
it's not inappropriate, but you can see that she's pushing the line a little bit. And he asks her a follow-up question and, and like she mentioned, she says his name, Cameron, kind of in a sort of, not seductive way, but like in a way that like you can tell that the inner gears of her brain are starting to wonder what is it, what does it take for me, a 37-year-old woman, to enter, to cross the line with this person? And it's like, she she doesn't, she obviously doesn't do that, but she's she's constantly like, thinking about that elizabeth elizabeth's character mm. in this movie natalie portman could be she's an emotional vampire <laughs> she's an emotional vampire yeah but it's funny this is sort of it I, and i don't think this movie goes maybe there's uh, allusions to this it is a bit of a societal commentary mm -hmm. so we rightfully mm -hmm. should look at gracie and be like what the fuck yeah. And 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 harsh judgments on the uh, yeah. the sexual abuse and the you know the the psychological abuse and the like it's just it's a it's a lot. Yeah. You look at Elizabeth, who again you could look at moral gray zones of profiting off of that story or doing she whatever. Says like, the, gray, the moral the moral gray zones are where this is most interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But she is taking the energy of this story. And in very real ways throughout the movie, inserting how I believe she believes Gracie would act so she could get a sense of how Gracie could feel, would feel so she could then portray that more realy, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, and that in and of itself around the people in the world that she is dealing with could also be considered damaging. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And. Uh, so so it's almost like i don't think this is a commentary on it but i found myself thinking about it the way that a hollywood system or i wouldn't say hollywood system the way that our i don't know how a better way to put it than tabloid brains yeah like we're so thirsty for salacious information and the most accurate depiction of what happened and who did what and oh my god can you believe this awful thing yeah uh, that we will actively promote and pay people to basically go almost do it to make sure that we get the most real story. Yeah. And I'm not saying like individuals are doing that. I'm saying like society has pushed different uh, different vocations in that direction because yeah. that's the hunger that the audience wants. And so I don't know. I found every line that I felt that uh, Elizabeth crossed or came close to crossing mm -hmm. was just a really interesting, like, Oh, this is the other side of the coin. This is the, this is the capitalistic end of this hyper damaging story that is still damaging stuff. Yeah. It was, it's just, a, it's a weird third take. Yeah. It's a psycho. There's a psychosexual element to the way that she is being, she is basically interrogating this relationship without, you know, but there, as you, as you kind of alluded to, there's a financial component to this, which means that she's not a judge jury on this. She's kind of someone who's investigating the emotional, the emotional depth of what this relationship is. And also, uh, you know, sucking it out, <laughs> you know, like, like there's a you, in her private conversations with the producers in Hollywood or uh, a partner that she has as well. She's also like, there, there's a real disdain for this person, yeah. but she's trying to figure it out. And then the irony is, is that it's all at the service of a film that is probably not that great. 
You know, like when we see the film being made at the end, it's like it's probably not worth the interrogation. And this film itself is an interesting interrogation of both those mirrored ideas. When when I was teaching film studies or media, <laughs> wait, studies, hold on, you yeah, were teaching yeah, film yeah, studies? Yeah, yeah, a long Which time ago. Which season of the eight seasons of Who's the Boss was this? During? Oh, it was eight seasons. By eight the way. seasons of Who's the Boss. How many times did they have to repair that bathroom? Um, I think bathroom just curtain? the once. Just I mean, the once in the title. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean Tony Danza did a lot of stuff in that he vacuumed the curtains. That I was his don't big even, thing. I don't even remember what the premise of that show was. Okay, so she, she moves in. I right? believe, yeah, uh, I believe Angela's husband either passed away or they got divorced, and yeah. she needed help with the kids and a maid, and she, she wanted a maid, but she didn't want to hire a dude. And Tony Danza was a baseball star who blew out his arm That's and couldn't right. do it, and he just showed up with his daughter. Um, Alyssa Milano, whose character I cannot remember their name. Yeah. I remember the son's name was Jonathan. Right. Um, and and so they move in reluctantly, and the the who's the boss title is because like, oh, it's a man, but like he's an employee. What? <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah, um, yeah. okay. Uh, so who was the boss? Really? Mona. The, Mona. Uh, Mona was Angela's the boss. mother. Mona, who was herself a hmm. uh, very uh, sexual person. Oh, was she uh, in, in her later age? That was sort of it was played for jokes, but she was always in charge of every goddamn scene she was in. So that's why I always do say Mona was the boss. Okay, fair enough. I I, I need to go revisit. I remember the shot of Tony Danza diving for the base. Uh, yeah, diving slow for the motion. Base, and it was like, you didn't make it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I remember that. The choice is... Uh, what was there's the song? A, uh, there's a time for love and a time for living. Take a chance and face the wind. The open road and a road that's hidden. A brand new life around the bend. Hold on. There were times I lost a dream or two. Down the trail. And at the end was you. The choice is up to you, my friend. A open road and a road that's hidden. A brand new life. Brand new life. A brand new life, a, a brand new life around the bend. Wow. Why wasn't the show called Around the Bend? Because who's the boss of the title? Achievement <laughs> unlocked. That was very impressive. I did not know we knew those words. You knew the words. I was like coming in. I, I was like the worst backup singer on that case. Wow. Anyway. The Apologies <laughs> slash you're welcome. <laughs> the reason I bring that up is in, in film studies, we would sometimes use like um, uh, uh, inter, um, what would we call this? Uh, there, there was a little complicated way of doing this, but like intertextual work or um, intermediary work from other disciplines to help explain theories or things that we were thinking about. Sure. And I was always very cautious about this because it's like, we were using the, the one I'm about to mention is the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Ooh. Uh, Werner Heisenberg, who you would have seen in Oppenheimer this year. We would talk about his work a lot in media studies, even though his work has nothing to do with media studies whatsoever. But we use it as sort of a grounding to uh, help maybe inject some flair of an idea into uh, an observation that we would make. And the uncertainty principle, as I understand it, I'm not a physicist. Um, if that isn't painfully obvious. But you're wearing point. glasses. But I am wearing glasses right now, yeah. And I'm stroking my beard, and I am wearing a bow tie for Plus some reason. Plus three to physicists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This um, but the uncertainty principle basically came down to this idea in quantum theory, which is that you couldn't measure the particle, the mass and size of, uh, of a particle um, accurately because the actual act of measuring it affected the, the size of it. Right. And so the way we would apply that idea in this movie is that Elizabeth can't quite interrogate the idea of what Gracie and her family is because the fa her presence 
actually affects change within that world right. as well. Yeah. So, um, and and you see it it's sort of in manifest itself in really interesting ways. Like when she goes to the pet store, um, and she kind of she looks for the corner which they would have like been caught in, and she tries to put herself in the position of Gracie in that moment. And so she's trying to like evaluate like how would I have done it? How what is the thinking that would have gone on in my head to get to that point? Um, and then, you know, like the move, like Bergman's movie Persona, there's this like osmosis that happens towards the end of the movie where she kind of then really, you know, she takes on the lisp. She starts talking, you know, she delivers the letter. Yep. And it is this like seductive thing, this sort of sexual thing that she's doing. But it's like um, it's dangerous. And then she realizes that Gracie has been aware of this the entire time. Um, because she speaks to uh, Gracie's first son or, for, or one of the children George. from the first marriage, yeah. George, played by Corey Michael Smith, who yeah. uh, I'm trying to think of where else you might have seen him. I was trying to place it. He was the Riddler in Gotham. He okay. was Edward Nigma. Okay, I didn't see Gotham. Uh, and he yeah. was his his performance on that show was probably the reason the reason why. Uh, well, he's doing a watching. Peter Frampton song when he comes in. Uh, yeah. And, and then he's like, you can't sing this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like that. Um, but he he really kind of says this thing, which is like, this really fucked up my whole life. And they mentioned like that um, Joe and George were best friends. And then Joe end up, ended up sleeping with George's mom and, you know, like ruining his life essentially. Um, and, but then later in the film, George comes back and suggests that maybe there's an opportunity here for him to like work his way out of this. You know? I know songs. I know songs. I'd be a really good, um, music supervisor. Yeah, that's right. A music supervisor, which obviously she has no uh, yeah. capacity to control whatsoever. Um, but she, he then offers her a little tidbit, which is that Gracie, well, the story that he tells, he tells yeah. is that Gracie was abused by her brothers, which ex which for her, which Elizabeth kind of takes on whole cloth and is like, well, this explains everything. It's the thing that she's been looking for. And then Gracie comes in towards the end of the movie and undermines all of that again. And letting her and letting us know and Natalie Portman's character know that she, at the very least, understands the situation beyond the aw shucks, whatever thing. And yeah. is more in is in is more puppeteering than has ever been admitted, even if we thought she was it, or yeah. or we see her puppeteering in her abuse with Joe yeah. uh, earlier. But now you could even say that that was the moment with Joe, which we'll talk about, I'm sure yeah. as well, uh, that what could have been still part of her own mental illness and what she believed. Yeah. This scene with great with uh, Elizabeth is very clearly like, and now I am manipulating you. And, like, yeah. And the reason to do this whole movie, I think, uh, in the way that it's done, which is that it takes place is what, 20 years after the initial arrest and what have you, like Joe is now 30. Joe is now yeah. the age that uh, Gracie was when she seduced him mm -hmm. or when she, you know, molested him or, you know, however you want to read that. Um, and the reason to do this entire movie is a little sequence where uh, it's sort of a series of sequences where he gets up in the morning, his butterfly, his pupae has become a butterfly. He releases it. And then his, da his daughter and the rest of his kids come downstairs to have breakfast and he, serves, he starts serving them breakfast. And later on, he then watches them graduating from uh, high school. And the weight that is being carried on his shoulders in those sequences, I think, are the reason to do this movie. Yeah. Like, it's incredible that the sort of profound realization that he's having, which is that his kids are a little bit older now than he was when, when he went through this, but he's realizing that they are now living a life that he didn't have. And the reason he didn't have it, it was because of Gracie. 
And there's a real beautiful moment between him and his son on a roof. Oh, yeah. Uh, where, some pot. Yeah. yeah, where they smoke and he'd never done it before. And yeah. then like they're trying. Because he's a good dad. Yeah. And he 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 has a line that I think was going to possibly be my quote for the beginning. But yeah. he said after he, he like starts breaking down after this, because after he gets a little high for the first time with the sun on a roof. Yeah. And they're having an emotional moment. Then he starts going into like, I would consider like scary territory for a son to be hearing his father talk about in a way. And yeah. the line is God, I can't tell if we're connecting or if I'm creating a bad memory for you in real time. Yeah. But I can't help it. This Because the, the movie is operating on so many layers of like, what is the event and then what is the story we create about the event? Yeah, because think about it from the kids' perspective too. Like they, their whole existence is based on a damaging, uh, at best, yeah. cultural taboo. And at worst, your parents, one of your parents straight up yeah. molesting and abusing the other one. Yeah, and, and and like everyone knows it. And now there's an actor coming to play a movie and eat, going to your fucking graduation dinner. There's almost a sort of like um, I love the the film um, Cachet by Michael Haneke, Hidden, where the kids are far more aware of the reality of what's going on and don't want to be involved with this any longer. Like yeah. the kids are ready to go to college and leave, and they know that they will leave their dad behind in the situation. It's an empty nest. Um, but they don't want any part of this. Like, you know, I think, uh, uh, the daughter asked the question, why would you want to play a bad person? And like knowing that her mom is the bad person in this, in this scenario. Um, I don't think I, I've seen a movie get much more of a gasp, uh, including horror movies this year than when Gracie tells her daughter oh, in the mirror to, scene in the mirror scene when gracie tells her daughter you're so brave to be showing your arms like that uh you're much you're a much braver woman than i would be knowing like what the manipulation is that scene got such an audible gasp in our audience i think you, i audibly gasped alone with my cat yeah and and you see natalie portman's reaction to this whole like, thing what and, the and, and the way that it changes and you realize like how much uh, you know, how awful a thing that is to say as well to a young girl that age who's about to be graduating. And um, and then it's compounded later on when we meet the older daughter who has been away to college for a year already come back and reveal sort of comically that she, that part of her going away gift was a scale. Yeah. You know, like it was a scale. And it was like, well, I gave that to you because that's what my mom gave to you. Like you try to live life without having a scale. And this is like really complicated, like a uh, series of um, abuses that are going on that are very subtle, but like, you know, will impact these kids for the rest of their lives. And they know it and they want to get away from it. Mm -hmm. And I know they want to get away from it. And like the town wants to get away from it. Nobody's ordering her pies anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's, and this is what Haynes is good at. This is what Haynes is good at, which is that the, 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 the surface of manners belies a kind of, horror underneath it and like a kind of really profound horror underneath it and that and you know the fact that we're adding an actress on top of this with a movie that's being made on top of that which like taps into the tabloid nature of it really just um really effective work yeah there. the last thing I'll, i want to bring up i keep saying the mirror scene and i mean the dress shopping scene yeah, yeah. there is another very prominent mirror scene yeah. where natalie portman is learning how to do or great elizabeth is learning how to do gracie's makeup and yeah. gracie's working through it and they're like there's great eyeline work there's yeah. you know whatever uh, natalie portman directly spikes the camera while yeah. uh while um 
Julianne Moore like has like an eyeline off to where I believe Elizabeth would be. It's like yeah. so she's looking at Elizabeth, but Elizabeth is looking right at us. Yeah. Uh, so presumably at herself. Yeah. And uh, there's a moment of like sort of like psychosexual tension between the two of them yeah. as they're like they start facing each other and whatever. And at first I was like. When I was watching, I was like, this is weird. Yeah. Like, this doesn't feel like at all what these characters would do because, like, that's not Gracie's MO. Like, there's no, like, whatever. And then afterward, after thinking about it for, like, a day and 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 rewatching that scene, I actually really get it because Gracie, for all of her mental illness and faults and abuse that she displays uh, and puts onto other people, in her mind, like most great villains, she doesn't think she did anything wrong. Of course wrong. not, no, yeah. And she'll manipulate everyone to consider the, to get them to do that point. So I would say she's a bit of a narcissist. Uh, yeah, right? a delusional. Yeah, a, 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 a lot of other things, yeah, but yeah, a, a narcissist yeah. as well. So yeah. now she starts looking at Elizabeth while they're putting on makeup together. And like there's almost like a longing that both of them show each other, but for different reasons. At first you're like, are these two just going to like, like what, the, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. But like Gracie is, I'm using this very wrong. I mean, like falling in love with Elizabeth because Elizabeth is now embodying Gracie. Yeah. So that's the that version. side of yeah. it. Yeah. And then Elizabeth is just being an emotional vampire, sucking it all up. So she is matching yeah. the intensity in real time of Gracie falling in love with her playing great. And like it all like just clicked. Cause yeah. again, first time I was like, this feels weird. And I'm like, Oh, like it was just a really cool. And again, it comes down to so many, I'm not obviously an actor, um, but it, it comes down to so many small choices that I'm sure I'm not even recognizing. Yeah. Uh, to pull off subtlety like this. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously filmmakers uh, and a cinematographer, everyone that can like actually capture that and make sure that you're like getting every little tiny morsel, even the ones you don't see, you know, consciously. What did you think of the music? I here's here's the truth of it. Yeah. You were humming the the, yeah. the tune. I don't remember it. Right. But it's so prominent. But it, it is. Yeah. I remember there was music. Yeah. But I think I'm, this isn't a, a, a complaint. I think it was so effective for what it was doing emotionally that I didn't even pay attention to it was it was it probably led me on a journey it was probably very uh yeah. well tracked out yeah but I never stopped to focus on the music it's so funny because for me I had kind of an opposite reaction which is the music was kind of on top of the movie mm -hmm. in a way that was probably distracting but also pointed mm. you know like it was meant to be on top of the movie like that that scene we I don't think we have enough hot dogs and the music is playing this sort of almost sinister tune is hilarious but as, and then, as i mentioned the second time around it was much more of a thriller kind of you know it yeah. felt much more like a thriller um haynes mentioned that that track um actually came from another movie called the go-between uh which is a 1971 joseph losey film uh, i haven't seen it but i watched the trailer for it last night um and it has that kind of music oh, does and it? It, yeah and and it's the same composer um and it's really interesting to see i guess the way Haynes understands artifice. Okay. You know, like, and, and how to, like, you know, the movie has this kind of, like, glossy melodrama. He's obviously, you know, influenced by Douglas Sirk. Someone asked a question about Douglas Sirk in the uh, in the Q&A as well, you know, um, so uh, thinking about a film like Imitation of Life sure. or All That Heaven Allows. Um, but it, it's really uncanny, like, in a modern context, 
to create a movie with such a level of artificiality on top of it when it is a movie also about the way in which stories create the way in which people create their own mythologies. Yeah. And that's what, and you know, so when I think about that photo, that original photo, photo of Mary Kay, Letourneau, uh, Letourneau, um, you know, where she's got this look on her face, which is again, you know, you look at it the first time and it's like, it's a beautiful, you look at it and go, Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a woman clearly in love. And then you look at the photo and you're like, wait, what is the situation yep. here? Um, and all of the interviews with her, are kind of like that where they um I want to show you the photo by the way just uh, just uh, perfect for an audio medium yeah yeah I just want you to see the photo okay just so you can like yeah yeah I've seen that yeah yeah, yeah in the research the, for, there's yep. just something there's this photo you know where she is just looking at him so lovingly but you realize he is a child like a child child yeah and not that any of any degree of this is excusable at all by the way um but it's just this like profoundly complicated photo to look at um that ha you know poor creates more questions sure uh and i think that's and what's great is the movie doesn't ever tap into kind of the salacious nature of it and instead makes the film explore that kind of moral gray area in like really interesting ways and as i say um uh, it's it's a two for you know you got to watch yeah. it twice you got to uh, really engage with it twice the it's interesting. We keep talking about uh, uh, Elizabeth almost crossing a line. She kind of does cross the line. Elizabeth crosses the line? When well, she has an affair with, but but in a way, <laughs> the affair that she has with Joe unlocks Joe's realization of what was sure. wrong. You know? Look, again, gray area. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, you could read that a bunch of different ways, but like there's interesting sort of like, I could see people from all different um, philosophical spectrums yeah. looking at Elizabeth's character and pulling a lot of different yeah. either either judgments or or, yeah. or lessons. Yeah. Where you can't really with Gracie. Like Gracie, you can question how she's a villain or why she's a villain, but she's a villain. Yeah. Um, and I like that the character of Elizabeth admits that she's interested in the gray areas and then all she does is gray area. Right. Uh there's a real there's a real power to that and an interest and it's uh i don't know this movie is pretty fucking good i want you to do one exercise right now though which is that or just one thought exercise right now which is that in the film uh joe has an affair with elizabeth uh, a quick affair and it's it's very evident then as well he still embodies a child like he's yeah. kind of been trapped in stasis uh and you can kind of see it in the case of this affair which is that like he doesn't know how to respond to this at the end. And she says, this is just what adults do. Mm -hmm. Or this is what grownups do. Uh, and he's like, basically lived a, lived a kind of chase life, even though that, even though at one point, Gracie says he's had more lovers than I have. Yeah. And well, there's another like, coping mechanism yeah, or a yeah, lie yeah, yeah. or whatever. But, but they get into this conversation and he's, and she basically says, you know, like, this is the way we explore stories. And he's like, stories, this is my life. Mm-hmm. The exercise I want to think about now is that we've got a film here which kind of peels, which like extrapolates the layer of a true story into a fictional movie and adds a third layer of a uh, a character who's investigating that story and creating creating a story around it. The, th the 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 thought exercise to have right now is to think about the uh, uh, Vili Falau and think about how this is dredging up more in his yeah. actual life. So now this person who has children who, uh, who's, um, you know, 
probably the memory of what's happened has, you know, long since gone since, since, since she died of cancer is now having this all brought back again. And now we, you and I are engaging in a conversation that is about this person's life that we probably wouldn't have had a conversation about a, a year ago. Right. And I think, you know, the movie, the movie is that, is that invitation to allow us into thinking about, okay, you're going to have this conversation. Think about the layer of conversation that's happening above it, where we are crafting a narrative around somebody's life. Sure. And, and that narrative is, could be, 180 degrees wrong. Well, that's the, I mean, it kind of goes back to my original point of like the commoditization of, of the story. Yeah. And I, I say not just this story, but the story in the general sense of whenever we are, anything yeah. is based on, I mean, it's funny, either based on actual events or a script or like whatever. And there's all different levels. There's literal gray area to everything. Yeah. Like we as a society are really good at, uh, and many times rightfully so condemning people. Yeah. But then we are creating the narrative ourselves. Then we're, uh, we as a society are like, Oh, but like, this is like crazy interesting too. So like, maybe we should make like a movie about it. Yeah, of course. A and like, it, it's, that's uh, a weird, uh, uh, if you look at it in a baseline context, a very contradictory, uh, version not version element of human nature right we love we love we, we love judgment oh yeah and then we love looking over the line at whatever judgment we made and chatting about it we're never gonna not stop at the car crash you know we're never not gonna slow down past the car rubbernecking crash. yeah is a thing yeah um anyway this has been the only podcast about the film may december shakir when you are not showing up to um a uh woman's house what? in your in your blue van with your daughter samantha looking for work where can folks find oh, you oh god that was like, <laughs> really i was like what is happening here right now um uh yeah i am the boss at my website www.shahirdowd.com actually go to my website i think it's down because uh uh my bluehost uh uh, subscription has don't don't take over my website by the way uh, not that or, it has much value but we have my 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 new company website suvanova.com suva nova uh we can see a lot of uh my life and work there but also my company work matt when you are leading us down a metaphor that is one part dangerous one part delightful uh, a delightful memory of mona uh where can people find you you can find me uh, just singing uh, Catherine Hellman's praises over at, uh, actually, I'm not even going to talk about my website anymore. The thing is so old. Yeah, yeah. Um, please check out the good works we're doing over at Extra History and Extra Credits on YouTube. Um, we're doing a lot of stuff over there. Also, if you just want to see like a general overview, if you've never actually checked out, weirdly, the um, the stuff that I do, you can go to extracredits.site. Okay. Uh, and that is a, a good place to find out all the stuff we're doing. You can get linked to all the shows and all that stuff. It's quite good over there. And um, yeah, if you want to talk to me, uh, Emperor MSK on Twitter, uh, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or PSN. You want to play some. Actually, ooh, there's um coming out in January. Yeah. Here, Remember Last of Us and Last of Us 2? Yes. Uh, How could I forget? Them? So they're doing, which is questionable, Last of Us 2 Remastered, which yeah. is pretty. It came out like I three it, years ago. I have not played it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the new version has a roguelite mode, okay, which means it's basically like a uh, like procedurally generated different buffs and and negative okay. things, but like see how far you can get, okay. And the combat in that game is very very good. The story obviously takes precedent, but I'm really interested to see how they turn that into a a, a roguelite mechanic because 
uh, we're doing an episode on our roguelites, the new RPG, like RPG elements in games are now tacked onto literally almost every game. Spider-Man has a talent tree yeah. and you level up, yeah. um, et cetera. And that was when 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 designers discovered that there could be engagement put into that, it kind of tacked it onto everything. Yeah. Roguelite is sort of the next version of that where you can kind of make a game with a small amount of assets yeah. go on for a very long time. Yeah, forever. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I'm just fascinated about that. That episode's coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Next week, like we said. Godzilla minus one. Yeah. I, I don't want to answer this question now, yeah. but as of the recording of this, yeah. I don't know why it's called minus one. I don't know either, uh, but as Paul pointed out, Godzilla is a huge hole in my cinematic knowledge, which is that I-, I Did you was, not watch the movies when you were a kid? I watched, I, I probably did, but I've I don't- watched, I think I've watched up to the, like all the year 30, 2000, every Godzilla movie. Like all 31 of the Toho Japanese yeah. Godzilla movies? I, Everyone look, I could get. I, I used to have the VHSs yeah. of, of all of them. I used to have, um, there was one with Megalodon. Yeah. And I loved it because it was Megalodon, Godzilla, Ultraman. Oh, I can't remember. And there was one other like rock based, almost like armadillo looking monster. And uh, that was the one that I just burnt in my goddamn VCR. Like I, it, it got to the point where you couldn't actually see what was going on because I watched it so many times. I look, I, I vaguely remember watching the Godzilla movies as a kid, but not in a continuum. And, yeah. and then I, you know, the Roland Emmerich film came out and I, that's when I the, fell off the, the Gareth Evans or Gareth Edwards film uh, recently as well, but I have not watched Godzilla versus Kong. Um, the thing that I've just been loving uh, that has resurfaced since Godzilla is the, uh, the Godzilla flying kick. Yeah, have you seen you the, know, Godzilla I know the Godzilla flying kick? Yeah, the Godzilla flying kick is incredible. Um, I I don't know a lot about Godzilla, so I would say that minus one has something to do with the continuity of spectrum of the titles as they exist right now. That's my guess. Sure, uh, but let's talk about it. Yeah, a highly praised movie. Uh, if you're hearing this and it's still available to you to go see in a theater, we do wholeheartedly recommend yeah, going to see it. Yeah, it's definitely worth your time. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to mine from it. We're going to do a whole episode on it. Uh, so Steven please. Spielberg just called it one of the, the pinnacles of filmmaking. It it <laughs> feels real Spielberg-y. He just said it was one of the sp- pinnacles of filmmaking. Oh, man. So, yeah. And he's the boss. He, he If anyone's the boss, it's Steven Spielberg. Yeah. All right. And is Martin Scorsese Mona? Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, Who's Alyssa Milano in this? Oh, gosh. Uh, Taika Waititi. I have no idea. All right. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.